Hi there, welcome to the Happy Startup School Community Podcast. I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School. And in this episode, I'm talking to John Barnes and we explore his ideas on education and work. He shares his thoughts on the way we've been schooled and how it has impacted on the way we work. We were all brought up told exactly how things are, what to wear, where to sit and when to speak. Schooling is something done to us rather than for us. We're not given autonomy and so we don't learn accountability and so lose our sense of agency. This has repercussions on our sense of freedom and our ability to act independently or entrepreneurially as adults. John tells the story of the changes he saw in his son Ivor when he took a family adventure to Costa Rica and enrolled him in Casa Sula, a school that promotes independent learning. Talking about Ivor's shift from needing to be told what to do to becoming more self-driven and motivated kicks off our conversation about John's own work and why he considers himself an activist trying to change the restrictive systems that exist in the workplace. I hope you enjoy this really illuminating conversation around uh, how we can really be at work, particularly in this age where things change so rapidly and there's a need for us to collaborate and be more creative and innovative in these uncertain times. Hope you enjoy it. So yeah, it's um, it, it's trying not to make this too structured. I, I to be honest, I, I I've been a, had to run around a bit because there was a fire alarm here at platform. Yeah, I just saw you right there. That was and I was so ready to actually sit in front of the pavilion on the grass uh, to do this. I thought, oh, this is nice. Oh, well, I was ready for around about two minutes and then I started getting cramp in my leg and then some jugglers came by and <laughs> the little crusty dog on a string started sniffing around I thought Uh-oh. maybe I'll just walk back to where <laughs> I was it, going to do it anyway. idea. Um, <laughs> but I've got I've got the document up um yeah I don't know I'm, I'm in your hands really um well I think uh to a bit of one of your other ones which was with Charlie I didn't get around cool. to the whole thing but so so the vibe was oh quite... no i think I'm gonna, we're gonna have to stop right here i'm sorry you're oh. just gonna have to go back and listen to that whole thing <laughs> to really get the gist of how it works because that's just not good enough research <laughs> uh, well yeah it seemed informal and i you know <laughs> you like kind of kind of know me i'm guess i'm guessing that's how we do it but but you tell me really and I, I'll, i'm happy to just be in your hands well, it it is it really is an informal conversation. Um, for me, it's it's really <clears throat> part of the reasons why I like to do these podcasts is a um, I like to, it's a, it's a nice easy way to connect with people who who you want to learn from, uh, and it's a nice low low barrier way for connection. But also, it's a great way for me to connect with members and people who are on really fascinating journeys, uh, and it's an easy way to share a story mm, yeah. um, that doesn't feel too too structured and like you're giving a presentation. Yeah, it's yeah, an, sure. it's a conversation and yeah. sharing a, a chat. Um, so I think what would be nice to start off with. Uh, is t- to introduce yourself and maybe start off with where are you now at the moment 
and mm. then maybe then jump to how did you get here? Okay. Cool. You just want me to just I just go off on that? Just go off for it. All right, cool. Thanks, man. And um, where am I right now? Well, physically right now. Um physically or spiritually. <laughs> physically I'm in Portugal. Whoa. What lands um, for you best? Yeah. It's uh, living living in Portugal, been here for like a year with um with my my now lovely wife, Gabs, who got married here. And I met her at summer camp, of course, as you know, Carlos. Um, and then, uh, and our son, Ivor, he's eight, and we're homeschooling him. So, so the Portuguese coast is our, is our kind of science lab at the moment. And, um, and the, the waves are, are my teacher <laughs> at the moment. They're quite quite harsh nice. teachers a lot of the time. They're not they're not the kindest. They're like uh, you know I feel like when you watch a a film with like the archetype of the mean the mean uh, guru who like hits it. I'm thinking of Kung Fu Panda when he when like <laughs> the, the little mouse guy hits the panda with the with the big stick. I feel like the waves are that for me. So we're here uh, exploring exploring a kind of lifestyle we want to build, the kind of education we want for Ivor, that kind of thing. Um, but it's coming to an end soon. We're coming back in, back in June to Brighton for a bit more a bit more uh, vibrancy and life around us. So we've had we've had a year of nature, and now we're we're looking to to come back and be near our community and near people. Really, that's where cool. we're. Cool. And and how did you end up? There, because there's an interesting journey that you've been on over the past couple of years, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So, I mean, where to where to start? Maybe. Well, so, I mean, where where to start? I'll start with where us going to Costa Rica. Maybe that's the best place. So, so Gab mm. and I have been together for like a year or so. Um, she she'd been a, a single mum for for a long time, and I'd I'd been a single guy for a long time. And uh, and after meeting, I like moved in with her in Brighton, as you know. And then we, we kind of decided we wanted we wanted to go on an adventure, the three of us. So we went to Costa Rica for six months. And the reason we went there, well, it's a few things. One was to to become a family, really. Like, you know, I feel like uh, we'll go on to some of my professional life later, I guess. But the uh, we needed to like build a family culture at the moment. At, at that time, I was very much living in their in their culture, in their world. Um, we needed to create something that felt like it was it was ours for the three of us. Um, and a backpacking experience was a great way to do that. But we also wanted to explore a different educational model for for Ivor that would be premised on well, that we'd be led by him fundamentally. That would have far more freedom to it and far more participation where he'd, he'd learn through, um, through experience and through play and through exploration a lot more. And so he came across this amazing school in Costa Rica called Casa Sula. And actually, it's funny because there was a video online. We were both like, wow, this is amazing. And then Gabs, I think, commented on the video and Lawrence um, commented saying, oh, I know the founder. I've just met him. So he put us in touch. <laughs> it was just like this weird moment of like... Um, the internet being some crazy serendipity machine uh well or not i don't know the, the algorithm took us there certainly the algorithm knew that, that we should go there so maybe facebook isn't all that bad um but we, we like ended up in the jungle there and uh lived there for, for the best part of six months i think it was five months in total and just had this this really um 
like really transformative experience in that school to be honest transformative for Ivor or to watch him to watch him grow just so I mean it was just like quite radical actually you think of you think of adults having you know incredibly transformative experiences when they when they go through hardship or or when we I don't know when we when we have amazing experiences and I don't know I never really ex- expected to see that in a child um but I definitely did it was it was literally like he went to the school. Can you create a picture of what that transformation was like? What What is it you saw before and then after yeah. to just give people a I mean, feel for that? Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, he's, he's, like what before, there's nothing wrong, just like a, you know, super happy, a super happy kid. Um, slight, slightly like scared of the newness of the jungle and stuff, of course, but, but a, a pretty happy, a pretty happy kid. But then when we went to this school, it was it was just uh, it was just kind of mad, really. I mean, I have a few anecdotes I, I sometimes tell about it. One was so I, you know, I'm new to this. I'm like the total rookie dad in this situation. I'm like I'm like on a on a full learning experience myself, you know, and, and being like utterly humbled by all the all the shit I need to unlearn and all the all the lessons I have to learn about life and all the stuff he's teaching me. Uh, so I had a first experience, which was to take him to his first day at school there um with the with the like tears that that can involve and he was he was just um he was just super scared of of me leaving him and stuff so I stayed with him for the morning and um and they're they're brilliant this school you know it's based on a combination of Montessori Piaget there's some like basic neuroscience baked into to the way that they design the space um as well as some influence from from democratic schooling I forget the famous British school that influenced that area so much and then from unschooling so there's a famous author called John Holt who um who writes about unschooling I think he coined the term so this school's based on all that and I I like went with Ivor for his first or his second day I think it was and um and I remember the the guide they don't call them teachers they call them guides being really welcoming so she she you know came down to his eye level really like welcomed him into the into this beautiful place it's like a really natural space you know and um and she's really smiling but then just kind of says to him you know just put your bag in the locker and then you know do what you want and and in my mind that's just like the dream for a kid no not at all his face was like huh what I want that's too much that's like too much choice you know he's he's already got choice paralysis and then when we get to the lockers there's like loads of empty ones and he's just like John where do I put my backpack you know (laughs) and so I'm like, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the, the like facilitative thing. I'm like, I don't know which one do you want to put it in? And he's, he's a bit like, that's not very helpful. So then, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm like kind of like really uh, clumsily using these facilitation tools that I've learned and trying to adapt them to a child. Uh, and he's just finding it utterly unhelpful. And then this, this situation happens twice more. The second time is he sees kids wearing shoes, some kids wearing flip flops, and some kids barefooted. And he's wearing shoes, I think. And he's like, John, which one should I do? And again, I'm <laughs> again, I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? And he's like, you know, in his mind, if, if you were an adult, he'd be saying, just fucking tell me, will you? Um, <laughs> and, then, and then they're playing this maths game, the kids, and they're, they're all like measuring each other's height and weight. And you know, that's that's like the, the way through which they're learning maths. And they're having to socialize by going up with sheets and asking each other for, for these details. 
and um, and he sees that some kids have their sheet a for, uh, landscape and some have it portrait. And he, he asked me, which way should I do it? And I said, oh, I don't know. They seem to be doing it both ways. Which one do you think you should do it? And at that point, he's like, please just tell me. Like, <laughs> he's just like, you know, he's like, I cannot bear this stuff anymore. Like, I don't, you know, he's, and basically at that moment, I just had this mad insight, which was like, we, we've all been brought up being told exactly how things are. You know, at, at like traditional school, you're told what to wear, where to sit, what time to do what. You even have to ask if you want to pee. I mean, it, it's like there's there's just no like acceptable definition of freedom in that system. Uh, and what they were saying to us in this school is that by doing that, you steal autonomy. And when you steal autonomy, you're stealing. Think of it like I think of it like a machine learning process where there's no input into the machine. It can't self-learn. It can't learn to learn. And so it was. Just, I just had this insight that that we are all products of having been told what to wear and where to sit and when to speak. Uh, and that's going to have a huge implication on who we are as adults, on our ability to self-organize in communities, on democracy, on all sorts of things. So it was, it was just like quite a radical lesson for me. But then what was amazing is over the course of the next few weeks, so that day I left him at the school, he left me like, he's just, you know, crying and crying. And I just held on to his hand until he voluntarily let go. And so at mm. some point he just, he's just like, oh, I, could, I like feel, feel emotional now. I just really remember him looking in my eyes, crying and screaming and I'm just holding his hand. And then eventually we have this moment of silence. He lets go of my hand and he says, I, I love you. I'll see you later. And then mm. he, get, he gets onto the bus later that day, comes home and it's as if nothing happened. He just had the day of his life and mm. he's all super happy. And I'm like, fuck, I wish I was a kid and I could forget things that quickly, you know? Um, but, but in the next few weeks, me and Gab has just noticed all these changes. Like, um, one is that he's he's super calm when he comes back from school. So he used to come back pent up with energy, and it's essentially because he's been sitting down all day. So of course he's like full of energy. Um, but because he's been allowed to to use his body, he's not at all. Um, the second one is he's starting to ask his his capability in conversation changes a lot. So suddenly he's he's like asking us how we're doing and, you know, how was your day and telling us a little bit about his day, whereas normally you'd have to kind of squeeze that out. Um, mm. uh, the other one is he's like going to the fridge and helping himself and, and you know, just like cutting himself an apple with a kitchen knife. Uh, <sighs> he was just seeing this autonomy grow, but the main one we really noticed was um, he's, he's all, he was always quite a shy kid, so he'd often stand behind gabs if, if they met an adult or something. And this time he wouldn't at all. He would look them in the eye and if he was asked his name, he would confidently say his name. And mainly his shoulders were back and he's standing upright. Like it's almost um, when you see the other kids or when I saw the other kids who, who'd grown up this way and you see them with their shoulders back looking you in the eye, it's almost, it would be easy for, for an adult who's not considered this to see them as arrogant because they're like, mm. they're speaking to me like like we speak to each other there's no there's no like hierarchy there and what that and it's easy to see it as arrogance but actually it's not it's confidence and and there's huge respect there and he's, he's starting to hold himself like that and the, but this was just the beginning you know this was the first month we stayed there for six months and, and that kind of sent us on this journey that's that's now now brought us to to try and experiment with different different ways of education and it's it's really impacted my view of the work I do with adults because I'm, I'm like aware that 
we were we were all products of a system that may not have always not in every way helped um and obviously there's loads well, of new ones to this you know but but that's where i've come to yeah i think the, the thing that springs to mind now is um the word freedom and it seems to be something that's quite important to you and what that what that means so when i heard your story with ivor is like there's this suddenly he's granted all this freedom and he just doesn't know how to process it. Mm. But then, and so there's a there's something to be done there. But there's all this this idea of what what that lack of freedom in the early ages does for people does to people. And mm. and I assume this is related to the work you want to do with people and organisations. Yeah, I think the way you just put it there, done to people, is really key. I really see I really see traditional schooling. Like bearing in mind, I'm I'm just like really biased here. I like I grew up in school in France. I hated school. I like I remember school reports saying Jonathan has potential, but must stop daydreaming and looking out of the window, uh, which just seems like the most <laughs> absurd thing to say to a kid who's got so many ideas. You know, it's because it's more interesting out of the window than inside. Um, that's what's going on. It's, <laughs> this is feedback, guys. Um, but so, and my my thing is that school. In, in the way I experienced it, it was something that was done to me, um, not something that I, I participated in. So you're, you're right, freedom is is kind of the, the crux of this for me. And I kind of see it, I don't know if I'll try and simplify it in this way, that I see the, the importance of it related to school. And then and then for, for me, this grows up, it starts at school, it, become, it then becomes an organizational thing, and it becomes a thing for democracy at large or for communities. Um, but freedom, uh, for, I kind of see it as existing in two ways. It exists within a system. Um, so you know, there, there are. I'm not. I'm not. I'm lucky enough to have been born in one of the most privileged demographics ever, probably. But for for many people, there are, there are external systems that oppress us. School is one when you're a kid. Corporations are one when you're older. Um, politics can be another but capitalism can be another there are many systems outside of us that of course affect our everyday lives uh, and that you know to to not accept them would be to choose to live totally outside of the system and that would be hard and then there's freedom in its purest sense uh, which is is in the mind that you can you can be free right now by by realizing that you're free right now Um, and that's a purely psychological job uh, and I think more and more, I used to see those as different topics. I guess I see them as different topics still, um, but I, I like interlink them a lot more. Um, and what the 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 thing that the schooling kind of shows me is one how we're bound to be brought up with limiting beliefs if we're if we've not been uh, allowed to learn through our own autonomy and through our through that kind of development of our of our freedom of choice the the like giving given the right to choose to choose when we're little is bound to restrict uh our minds our belief systems our our ways of experiencing the world and therefore our our happiness or suffering um so so i see the psychological detriment being being quite severe um of not growing up with that freedom um, but then, also, but then the external systems, like if you were brought up where, you know, these, these guys have kids council on Monday mornings with a group of seven year olds, where they're, they're all sat in mm. a circle with a facilitator talking about how last week was, 
what went right, what went wrong, what they'd like to change about the school, who's going to take responsibility for that, who's going to be voted in for helping with lunch or the River Day or whatever. You know, they're taking some sort of responsibility over their community. My assumption is that growing up like that would put you in a situation where no way would you, um, your threshold for, for, uh, and tolerance for the bullshit of modern day politics and corporations and hierarchy and autocracy would be very limited. If we were to all grow up in <laughs> like that, you would not put up with an asshole boss uh, and, uh, and inequality uh, and lack of participation to that extent. So I see the, the ripple effect to a system at large, you know, if our culture is a result of education in, in many ways, I think, or we're a result of our education, uh, then that, then I, I just see that that starting point is really key, both for freedom of mind and for like that systemic freedom, I guess. So the three words that sprang to mind while you're talking were autonomy, accountability, and agency. And it feels like with when you don't, when you haven't experienced autonomy, which means you can never really have accountability, then there's going to be a lack of agency because you don't feel like you can do anything. And, and and linking that to whether it's a child making a decision in a in an open environment or a person trying to be creative within a business. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just you know, I, I've got so many friends who have amazing talent, skill, passion, ideas, whatever, but there's always that little voice and we all have it in the back of our minds saying, ah, oh, but I can't do that, you know. You watch people on Instagram mm. living, you know, living their passions or whatever and you're like, ah, oh, that's something they do, but it's not something I do. I'm a, I'm a spectator of the hashtag. I'm not a participant in, <laughs> in, in that. And I, I love that, spectator of the hashtag. You know, I think you really are, you know, you're just watching the hashtag stream of like, my, you know, YOLO. Uh, rather, rather than rather than like taking taking control over that and uh, and and feeling empowered to do it, and I, I largely think mm. that's a that's a result of this. You know, I I already notice him and you know many other children have like this. Ah, oh, but ah, oh, but I can't do this. Ah, oh, but I can't do that. And I I just uh, I'm not saying this is you know I want to be a bit careful here. I'm not like blaming the school system for everything. It would be too easy. Um, but but certainly I want to promote the idea that you can actually you, you just can it's that simple so like certainly my uh, there's there's loads of things as a as a new dad I do just incredibly badly all the time so I, I don't want to promote myself as some amazing father here um, but if there's one thing I try to do it's like if he says I can't do something then I, I'm like okay there's, um, we're definitely going to do it now we're like we're going to achieve yeah. it so we have this thing in Costa Rica because there's this beautiful river by our house it has some really high rocks and he was terrified of jumping from them but we we jumped from a tiny rock and then a slightly bigger rock and at the end I'm not kidding he's like 15 meters high <laughs> jumping and you're just like this is this is so cool to watch it to watch a kid feel like you know he just felt so confident uh, uh and you know i'm almost thinking oh my god his like amygdala might be even or might be shrinking right now like this is great um so so i really i really think growing up with that is key to becoming an adult who you feel that you have control over your life externally that's like you know your passions your jobs your your way of life etc but as well as in your mind to like to like know mm. that right now i can I can choose to be happy. I can 
I can choose to do this. I can choose to do that with my with my mind, and uh, that seems like a really important lesson for for mental health apart from anything else. Um, but then you you also I have a oh, sorry go on go on. No, I was just uh, when you're talking about Ivor jumping off a 15 meter high rock, I, I really get the the word freedom just jumped into. I can just feel this sense of fl- him flying through the air and that sense of like I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, I remember him landing and he's like. He's literally like smacking the water, going, "I did it! I did it!" You know, it's 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 just really really cool. But you you also mentioned earlier, I think you 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 came up with some magic three A's, Carlos. You had autonomy, agency, and I think the other one was accountability. accountability. Yeah, and so I, I feel like at some point I'm going to publish an FAQ of the thing that cynics ask me about uh, alternative schooling. Uh, there's literally like this list of questions I get every single time. And one of them is, <laughs> one of them is just so funny because it's, well, don't you think that in life you just have to do stuff you don't want to do and you should learn that early? Um, it's just <laughs> like, I mean, you could only say that if you were brought up by that system because it's just such an absurd idea that the, the, the mind that thought that thought it because it was the victim of it. Um, and yeah, in some ways it's true. The difference is, I bought myself a surfboard recently and I really wanted it. And in order to get it, I had to do a bit of extra work, some of which I didn't want to do. But I did it because I got my surfboard as a consequence. Mm. With, with kids and exams, they just have to do it because they have to do it. They're like, you know, the idea, the idea that they have to do it for future them to like enter the job market is a totally absurd idea when you start passing SATs aged whatever they are, like nine or something. Um, so, mm. so, so that, that just, that just isn't true. They're the only ones who are subject to having to do something just because you have to. Um, and so, uh, the way we try and do it with Ivor is, well, that that's true for him too sometimes. So, so you know, we had this situation in Costa Rica now, we were very lucky because we were living in this beautiful little village, but he, he really wanted some toys. Uh, and you know, he already has some, he already has stuff. It's not like he, he's certainly not a an unlooked after kid so I was like well you can well let's let's find out how much you need so we did some math and he found out he needed like however many dollars and then in order to find those dollars uh, we've like come up with a list of ideas in order to um to help him achieve that uh mm. and then and then like I'll help him I'll do everything I need to help him achieve that so we end up selling cookies on the street or selling smoothies I think we did both and eventually he's like been up to a load of people and had the confidence to to ask him to ask ask them for for money in return for the cookies and then when he goes to the shop and pays pays for his like transformers toy you know this is like this is epic <clears throat> he did this and and he's account you know in some way there's some mild accountability brought in but also in a community sense because at the school they're asking people to take accountability just in small ways there's some there's some rules for living together like putting stuff away all the time or um you know cleaning up after yourself and at home we try and have the same thing so we have this like it's kind of cute we have a a little family constitution and we have a team a team meeting ideally once a week but not always where we um we like decide our rules for for eating together as a family for cleaning mm. together as a family and he has far less accountability than the adults of course and, and that's explicit but he has some if he wants to live in a community and, and what we found is because we agree them together those rules he like 
you know, it's really hard and like we argue loads and, and occasionally I shout and then feel guilty that I've shouted. But, uh, but, <laughs> but it does help. It, def- it definitely makes a difference when you've decided we're a team doing this. No, definitely. Well, that's the thing that, that struck me when you were talking about the, the school council meeting and this reflecting of what went well and what didn't go well. That sense of accountability is like, ah, we tried that. It didn't work. It's kind of on us, but now we have agency to change. Yeah, yeah, right. We can make something happen. And I think in the same way with within the family uh, circle, that the child having that sense of like, I'm part of the decision-making process. I have agency, but also I have accountability. I'm responsible for making some of this stuff happen, which I think relates to this when we were talking earlier about freedom how that sense of freedom is also combined with that sense of responsibility. Yeah, it's like the, the Spider-Man quote, you know, with great power comes great responsibilities. <laughs> with great freedom come, comes great responsibility. And, and I, I want to make, make sure I'm also not painting it as, uh, as like, you know, he's also a child and his life is different mm. and, and in no way should he, should he have like, uh, a million responsibilities and chores and, and constant difficulty in his life. The the idea is to to let him roam and explore and see life as a laboratory. But but just introducing those concepts enough so there's a bit of a balance and a bit of a uh, yeah a bit of a, a commonly agreed rule book is important. I know there's some schools of thoughts that say you sh- one danger is to over intellectualize children too young. Um, and I, mm. I tend to I tend to agree with that, although I'm also guilty of that. Um, and that there's there's some some compromise. But the the basic basic thinking is that before the age of ten, most children aren't aren't ready for really abstract concepts like reading or writing or numbers. So we should let them as much as possible learn through their hands. Um, and I, I think I've said this. That makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it... I, no. In terms of like uh, this morning and talking about abstract concepts, my son started quizzing me about wormholes. Yeah, wow. And saying, how can you? That's it's like, cool. oh my goodness sake! <laughs> how old is he, Carlos? He's ten. Yeah, and I don't know where he got it from. He was watching something, and then it's like now he's got this bit between his teeth about oh my god wormholes yeah. how do you create a wormhole and what does it mean and like can i create a wormhole i was like oh there's too much information here and take him to cern on a on a school trip you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's good. yeah that's pretty crazy yeah i mean they say that it's at age 10 that that starts to happen because they enter this is a piaget thing which is like mm. it's a debated theory but but what rings true for me is that I've seen uh, in, the, in this school in Casasula, um, one fear the parents often had, in fact, they said to us, they said he might forget to learn, he might forget to read. So he, won't, he might not know how to mm-hmm. anymore. And you will, you will be terrified as parents because you were brought up thinking that was the most important thing in the world. Um, but like, mm-hmm. don't worry, trust him. And it's true that for a while he's like stopped reading. Um, then I noticed his numbers, he was starting to write them back to front and stuff like it you know it like got worse measurably worse uh and then he's like suddenly reading a whole harry potter novel on his own and then he's asking if he can write a bit and then he's asking if he can be taught maths so he's requesting to be taught some Mm. uh 
and you're like, whoa, like, where did this come from? And they're saying, <laughs> they're saying they have quite, a, quite regularly, they have children who can't read or write. And then one day they come back reading a novel. The parents are like, how did you do that? And they say, oh, you know, my mate Johnny taught me last week how to read. Um, and it's because, it's because in that developmental phase, they're like, uh, they have a high propensity to it. But when you, when you like make them do it younger, um, not only is it really hard to learn to read younger, and actually, if you just tried at 10, it'd be way easier. Um, but what they're also, mm. there's one study actually that shows that kids who taught themselves through this process, and don't get me wrong, it's aided. There's, um, they have loads of prompts around the room to help you start to notice letters and numbers. Um, but yeah, those people tend to, as adults, love reading. That's the, so they, they read out of love, not out of like a, something I have to do. I mean, in France, I had to like read, read like Zola and Voltaire and stuff or whatever, like as a kid, it's like the most boring thing to put a child through. It's just awful. It's just awful, you know? So I want to zoom out a bit in terms of, uh, uh, there's a wonderful story around <clears throat> that is very linked to what I believe we're passionate about. Um, and I, the self-direction seems to be very important here. But in terms of how that's now impacting your work or influencing your work or how that links to your work, uh, and and I think you also touched on it, how it links to how we think, not also not only just the organizations we're in and the environments, but also how we perceive the world. Do you, is there something there you yeah. want to yeah. bring on? Yeah, I mean, maybe just for context for listeners, my work is kind of, um, well, I mean, my main work is helping organizations, uh, normally for-profit organizations, to be what they call self-managed. Um, and there's there's the argument that I give to businesses as to why they should do that. Uh, and it's that I believe that you're faster, more creative, more intelligent, uh, less costly, more profitable, more effective, et cetera, et cetera. These are like things that I think are true in there. You know, we, uh, it might not be for this podcast. I don't know, but there's, um, you know, there's a whole conversation about why almost mathematically, I think distributed systems and self-managed systems are more effective uh, I, I pretty much believe you could create an equation that would resemble like um, engineering theory to, to show that a distributed system, even of people, is, is far more effective and efficient than a, than a centralized system, a hierarchy of people. So that's the version that I give to corporations. The reason I actually believe in this, uh, or, or the second reason I believe in this, is a question of, uh, of morals and ethics. And so in, in this sense, I think I've said, this to you online that I kind of see more and more I'm starting to see this work as a type of activism in a way and that that's to say that whether you start at the school level where kids are kids are brought up in a perfect simulation of autocracy and hierarchy you then go into corporations that are much the same you replace you replace grades with pay grades you replace um you know subjects with departments um you, you, your your quarterly report is your school report. It's it's like all the, you know your your boss is your teacher. It's all the same thing. Just like you've got kids in ties and adults in suits and ties. It's it's kind of the same. Um, uh, and and that that's that's not something that's not something I think is is good for for people's freedom, well, uh, mental mental health. Uh, or ability to live with one another because those those systems stifle our ability to communicate and have compassion and resolve conflict together. Uh, and then that goes, if I zoom out further, that goes to a, a country level that 
I don't think the the version of democracy we live in is is by any meaningful standard could be really defined as as true democracy. Um, and so so I see this work as important because in my mind, the more and more self-organizing becomes a part of our lives, whether it's in our families, in our schools, in our communities, in our businesses, we start hopefully over time to develop a culture where uh, learning to decide together and learning to deliberate with one another and and resolve conflict together. Uh, the the moment we start to do that more and more, again, our tolerance for what I think are slightly oppressive sim- um, systems is gonna is gonna diminish. Um, so so yeah, I don't know. That's maybe maybe a, a, a philosophical and and an effectiveness kind of context for why why I want to help groups of humans to self-organize better with one another. And of course that, that has to, you can't have that conversation without talking about how you relate to others in that system and how you therefore relate to yourself and your own mind. I, I, I love that. I think what sprang to mind is like, whether it's school or, or work or society, when you're so just in, connected to the system in terms of following the rules and then and through that less connected to yourself mm. then that makes it harder for you to actually connect with other people because you don't understand yourself anymore you're just one part of this machine rather than understanding the, your own values and freedoms because without knowing those how how do you interact with other people who have different values and freedoms and then how do you how do you then have conversations that are productive right i mean i mean the the thing i've, I've kind of realized it, it came from that insight I told you where I saw Iva re- behave differently in this school is that I was thinking the the term that's often given the kind of jargon term that's given for what I am trying to do in companies is often called self-management um, as in you're not managed by someone else but you're managed by yourself uh, and groups are but then I was like but wait a minute I was never taught to manage myself like the timetable <laughs> was dictated to me as a kid, I did the mm. timetable. So I didn't actually learn time management. I was, I was forced into that. Um, then tiny decisions like where to put your bag in which locker, those small decisions mm. were taken away from you. And then getting to know yourself, like how, you know, have, like, have you noticed your thoughts, the, the nature of most of your thoughts or, or these kind of things, these are things we weren't given space to do. Uh, and so if you weren't taught like self management, then self-management becomes really hard. Um, and you, you see that in lots of ways. One one example as a kid, and I keep using children mainly because uh, it hits as hard as an example, and it's a nice fable, but you can translate it almost word for word for an adult. Uh, I saw this example over school where two kids were having an argument, and it was like slightly heated conflict, you know. Uh, I think they're about 10, 11 years old. And the guide goes between them, goes down to their eye level, puts a hand on each shoulder and says to one, you know, to the, to the girl, what, um, what's going on? And she explains. And then she repeats word for word to the guy. She says, oh, she says the blah, blah, blah. And then she just reflects what they're saying over and over again mm. until they just shake hands and sort it out. And I was thinking, exactly. I mean, I was like, whoa, had I learned to resolve conflict that young? And essentially what she's doing is is, uh, helping them to listen to each other. There's some like nonviolent communication intrinsically 
in that little exchange there. But I was thinking, the thing it made me think of is there's often this argument that we should wear uniforms at school because, you know, like kids are different and, and you don't want to be picked on for being different. Uh, and that's, only, that, that, you know, I, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons why that's logical for a, for a group of people that has so many students, you know, school can have a thousand kids plus sometimes. Um, so I, I don't want to be too critical of that particular sort of logistical situation. But but what, for me, what uniforms do is they prevent you from seeing and celebrating difference, from seeing that like, oh, I'm wearing this like super expensive T-shirt and, and yours has whole mm. hair. Um, and and there's there's some difference to be acknowledged there. And that difference exists in the real world all the time. Uh, it's, I don't think it's useful to be blinded to that until you're, until you're an adult. And in fact, celebrating that difference and learning to manage con- conflict, I think would make for a form, far more harmonious way of growing up. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, ram- I'm, I'm maybe rambling now. but No, I, I, well, no that, I thought that's great because what, well, for me, the, I had a little bit, well, an epiphany for myself, let's put this way, particularly taking that example about the school uniform. And like you say, the, there's good reasons people give is because we don't want, you know, we don't want people to be picked on because their clothes are slightly different. But, and I, and the thing that sprang to mind is that's an operating system. Mm. Yeah. And, and the software you'd like to install on that operating system is actually anyone can wear whatever they want. However, the operating system needs to be patched. Well, ideally, it needs to be completely changed. And this is where I relate to your activism thing, where actually when you do have people wearing different clothes, they have a way, because of the operating system they're working in, to resolve those differences mm. without it being mm. exclusionary or yeah, you need bullying yeah. happening. You need tools to do that. But then sometimes those tools can't be installed on this current operating yeah, system. Yeah. So you either reinstall the whole thing, which could cause complete chaos. Yeah. Or somehow, which this is why I'm picturing your work, is like you've got to somehow patch the system over time so that over a period of time, when you look at the two different versions, they're completely different because of the various patches that you've slowly introduced. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, th- I think kind of, I think what I'm hearing you say is, do you, do you like replace the whole system for a better one that makes the old one obsolete? Or do you, by virtue of iteration, make loads of small improvements? And I'm sure... I'm sure ultimately the answer is kind of both in some way, but I certainly take the latter. So, so my approach with groups uh, in organizations particularly is to start with, so th- this actually comes from meditation, this concept in Vipassana meditation, there's this concept of observing reality as it is, not as you would like it to be. Um, so I try and, or I'm trying more and more to start uh, with this is how things are. And let's just add loads of tiny increments. But what you actually realize is it doesn't take long for those tiny increments to snowball into far bigger decisions with far greater implications. Because there are some kind of keystone elements in systems that when you change them, everything changes. So as an example, um, in an organization, I have this one example where we uh, created this this uh, framework for people to talk about what, what essentially annoyed them most about the company and then to take responsibility <laughs> over changing that. And one group started this tiny experiment, which was that once a week on a Tuesday, they'd hot desk. Um, so like, you know, that just sounds like so incremental as a thing that once a week you change desk. But what happened is changing desk meant that they had to forward the landline phones to the mobiles. 
And then because they did that, they thought, well, actually, we might as well work from home a bit more. And then when you do that, you realize the software you have doesn't work because it's not transparent enough. So you need more transparency. Then the managers realize they can't man manage anymore because they can't look over anyone's shoulder. So actually, they have to start to to learn how to facilitate groups to self-manage more. And then, and then like, you know, this, this company now has like trialed some open salary policies and their board meetings are have an open mm. door so anyone can stand around like in a, in a kind of fishbowl style. And that mm. happens, you know, that ripple effect, the, the implications of the implications uh, are long and distant. And that's how, that's how I think systems change. Well, that's, that's at least how I try to change systems because I think that otherwise there's a danger of, there's a danger of breaking, breaking stuff too hard. And that's not nice yeah for the people involved. no no i i totally love that idea because you know if they tried to put open salaries straight in from oh the beginning God. because they think that's a good idea it would have just it would have crashed yeah, yeah, yeah. operating system blue screen of death yeah 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 you'd have the beach ball the beach ball would be like spinning on that screen you know wow yeah so so, so, so i think that 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 idea that things should be emergent uh there's also like a I have to be cautious of an inherent irony that often comes into this stuff and that I'm I'm quite guilty of I'd say and that's to like autocratically declaring democracy is kind of weird um <laughs> and to to coerce people into having organizations which are non-coercive is also weird um so mm. the way I kind of try and do it is I don't know if I'm just like um I might just well be like um, finding a story that suits my suits what I'm already doing here, and it it might be wrong. The way, the way I currently try and do it is to both start with where they are, like I just explained with that example, and help them build mm-hmm. in, in small increments from where they are, and and I hope that those those shifts are sometimes sometimes take some little exponential leap, but also to show them examples of where things could be, and that's not to force things in that direction, but it's to plant a flag over somewhere different and say. You know, whilst you've been working in your day to day and seeing seeing organisations as run like this, because we're all, me included, far too close to our own book. Uh, this is this is another world that exists over there where people people like mm. manage conflict as a form of growth and uh, and self organise as a in a community and and it it can be really wonderful. Uh, and that's a world that exists mm-hmm. if if you want to talk about it, you know. So, well, the thing that sprang to mind is that I, rem- I remember seeing agencies, digital agencies in the past that evolved to have this offering called digital transformation. Mm. So how can we create more, I don't know what it really meant, but it sounded like using more technology in the business. Mm. But what that did is they'd introduce new technology, but the people would reject it. Mm. And so what I hear your approach is, is very kind of more pull rather than push, rather than pushing a new system or a new technology, being autocratic about the freedoms you should have. It's kind of like, okay, here's this little thing. What do you think? And I think of Ivor and I think of that school where they ask for the thing they want next. Mm. They ask to read. They ask to learn maths. Mm. So they ask for new software they ask to work at home the managers ask to learn how to become coaches or facilitators and so you the phrase lean culture change yeah. springs to mind yeah. you have little things you give you know you little experiments that then introduce an understanding and a behavior that then becomes more of a pull they is requested rather than than forced on to people yeah absolutely there's this expression i think it's peter senge the the learning organizations sort of guru who said that people don't resist change they resist being changed 
uh, <laughs> which I, I think was well, certainly true for me. Uh, resist is, is too soft a word, in fact. But uh, I think, yeah, that, that's exactly what I try to do. Now, it's important to say that you you can you can adopt new changes in this lean way, like you're saying. In fact, I even have something called a minimum viable structure, which is the smallest, tiniest thing you could do and the least time-consuming thing you could do because that's often worries people in order to change uh, uh, forever, like to guarantee constant change, which is to insert some sort of feedback loop uh, in the system. Um, but then you also just don't know what you don't know. Um, so I'm not saying there's no role for that. I'm not saying there's no role for let's say, expertise or knowledge to be shared. So as an example for the kids, the, the way it works is that this is a Montessori thing, but they'll often design the space incredibly cleverly, first of all, to create some behaviors that, that are useful for the kids. So for instance, if you create quiet rooms and noisy rooms and whatever, you'll find that kids will self, like a thermostat, they'll self, uh, self-regulate their behavior. Um, but they'll also create areas for subjects, or not just subjects, but activities. So over here might be, you know, there's a woodwork activity, and over here there's a robotics activity, and over here there's a maths like game and puzzle, and over here there's some art going on, and then chemistry is essentially the kitchen. Um, and when you create that, the kids will they they now know that there's stuff that they don't know. So so they're at least. Mm. They know that they don't know some stuff now and they're, they like want to go. And that's just like, you know, kids too curious to not do that. And so I think there is a role for doing that for, for us as adults as well in organizations that you, you both uh, allow them, you, you both create a situation where people will naturally take up what they think suits their new context best. And, and that's a pure pull thing as well as saying there are these things over here if you choose to go and play, interact with them, you know. <coughs> Yeah, so tools that they could use. Yeah, yeah, because you don't know, you know, like for me, if I'm learning something, I, I just don't, there's just so much I don't know, and I don't even know that I don't know it. It's just, it's a bit like, was it Zelda or, or whatever, those computer games where most of the screen's black and you can only see this one corner of the map? <laughs> uh, and yeah. over time, like the map gets gets lighter and lighter, so you can see the whole thing. As no, we need to like somehow create create that, but it's always led by the character in those games, right? They move and the, the screen opens up for them. Uh, so, so you need to create a bit of that for them, I think. Um, yeah. Well, so um, what's next for you? It sounds like you've got you have very strong uh, ideas and opinions, and you you're working with organisations in a certain way, and you, you you have a very clear idea of how things could change and how you can make the world better for them. Mm. How are you making the world better for yourself? What is it that you're, you're trying to achieve next? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just they're so linked, it's quite difficult. And uh, I feel I'm in a little phase of, like, lull between, between jobs at the moment. So I'm, I'm maybe, like, in a – the answer I give today will most li- likely not give the, be the answer that I give uh, <laughs> another day, you know. Um, but, but at the moment, yeah. what's on my mind at the moment – well, there's a few things. There's like, there's like the work I do, the way we live in our family, and um, and then there's some stuff around the mind. Maybe I can just riff on those three topics briefly. Does that make sense? Mm. So the the, yeah. the work I do. So I guess what I've what I've found, what I found difficult. I'll be honest here. What I found hard over the years is, I've, I started off doing all this with a really like a. I don't know if it's a social conscience or a philosophical like uh, awareness or something, 
um, that this this would make the world better, you know. Um, so so it happened for me. Like a lot of people, this might sound cliched, but uh, I came across Semco and Ricardo Semler like just over a decade ago, and I was like, okay, if companies were like this, this would be awesome. Like this would be great for people. Hmm. So it started off there, and then uh, I became such a. <laughs> I was also like the generation that that straight out of uni, Twitter popped, and I was in the generation that got a Facebook account because of my university email address. Uh, and I was like, wow, well, if you were to scare, if you were to scale these concepts that I've learned from self-management and scale them using technology, then you could have countries that are governed far more democratically. Um, and then even at the time, WikiLeaks uh, happened. Uh, and uh, I don't endorse Julian Assange. He seems like a, a terrible human being in, in many, many ways. Um, but at the time when that leak happened, I was like, this is this is exciting. Like, you know, this... <laughs> You know, there's like Ill illegal wars being um, being shown up here. Like this is pretty transformative. Uh, so I even went to his court case at the time, which was a bit weird. I went to the to the public gallery for that. So I started all this with this big social conscience, and then over time, you know, as a as a young guy in my early twenties, I'm like, I also need to get my first jobs here, and. Uh, I've always had like a real difficulty, even like mental health problems, trying to do stuff I really don't want to do. Um, so I so I always managed to shoehorn this stuff into whatever job I did uh, because because it just felt too important. And so over time, I was lucky enough to find myself in a situation where I, I earned my living doing the stuff I love. Um, but over, over time, I certainly compromised. I like definitely didn't tell the full truth to companies you know I would I would do these digital transformation projects like you just said um, and I, I would just always frame it in the way that I thought would would lead people to, to some of the what I think are revelations that I've had at various points um, but nonetheless I'd, I'd ultimately be be compromising on what what I was trying to do in the world uh, and find find that difficult now it's tricky because in some senses that's just the perfect situation. You're like making money, um, not huge amounts, but you know enough to like live and and not worry too much. And and so I'm I'm making money and I care, and that's pretty amazing. And then over time, I found that my threshold for compromise has really dropped to the point where it's you know I really I, I like literally find it impossible to pander to to like political correctness in a boardroom or, or mentoring a CEO or something. It's, it's more or less impossible for me to, to even feign um, skirting around some, some points that I think are important. Uh, and so where I'm at at the moment is to connect all these things in, in the most honest way possible. Uh, I think I'm doing a far better job at that. And I'm actually, I'm sure, I bet you this advice might even have come from you and Lawrence at some point, but the more honest I am, the more I find myself attracting people who are into the same thing and detracting people who aren't. And that's kind of good, actually. It's self-selecting. Um, but it doesn't come without its little fears, you know, that maybe maybe I'll, like, I'll end up being an actual, like, hippie activist and have no cash. I don't, I don't quite know. Um, so I'm, I'm just trying to, to combine both, and I'm trying to do it at all scales. So I wrote Democracy Squared, which was about how, um, how countries could be, could be run genuinely democratically thanks to the Internet. I work with organizations and then this schooling work and a, a TEDx talk I've given on that, like take, take us to the bottom of the spectrum. But I'm really trying to be open and own this idea of 
what I'm calling at the moment, I'm playing with this term of organizational activism. Um, just to, to not pretend anymore that this is this is a consulting job because that's because that's that might be what what they call it, but it's it means far more to me than that. Um, so that's where I'm going professionally. I'm playing with the with that concept, and I've had one like pr- one really interesting situation where I gave a talk at this all com- <laughs> This is quite funny. I gave this talk at this all company seminar recently, and uh, then after we ran a workshop where. We got like over a hundred people to find all the stuff they hated about the company, get into groups, and then give themselves a mandate to go and solve it or like experiment with improving it over the next few months according to their own ideas. So that pull concept you were talking about earlier, and um, and a few things happened. One one is that I, I was scared at first. I said some things maybe that uh, a business owner in the room might not want to hear in an old fashioned hierarchy, like particularly concepts around co-ownership. And if you work your whole life in a place that you don't own, you're, you're working hard to make someone else rich. Um, so the kind of <laughs> concepts I particularly want, what all leaders want to hear in the room, although actually I'm, I'm surprised more and more to hear that some actually do adhere to those concepts. Then the thing that happened after is, first, that they've got huge momentum. You know, these people are now just like on it, creating all this change, and you can't put that back in the box. That's like, that's happening now. Um, and it, and and if you were a leader and trying to stifle that, you would be choosing to get everyone to quit. Like there's no way that people would um, would have that freedom and then have it taken away from them again. Uh, but then what was really interesting is apparently one of the one of the owners actually in their feedback form said uh, said that they weren't happy because quote John had shared some dangerous ideas with the people, um, <laughs> as if I'd like introduced them to reading or writing or something, you know. Uh, so I was just like, uh, um, that was a really exciting first or, or one of my first certainly forays into really owning why I do what I do as opposed to what I do, if that makes sense. Um, so that's a direct no, totally. professionally, I think, at the moment. That's what I'm trying to to kind of articulate a lot better. And I, I think I'll try and do that in some writing soon, probably. Nice. So that's the that's the work stuff, and then life stuff. You know, we're we're moving back to Brighton, trying to trying to continue along along this line, like work that feels more purposeful and and yet and yet profitable as well. Um, for either I've the the one thing you notice when you're homeschooling is that it becomes like permaculture, where the the point is that you plant you know you plant the the lemongrass in four different areas and then you see where it grows and then you you give it more water in that direction you put them you put more energy there we're really noticing that so, so we're like uh, almost too much i think sometimes i think there's a danger in this i'm like highly attuned to how he's developing so i feel like he's a plant to constantly observe and watch grow and give new food to um and like make sure he's getting what he's needs it's certainly there's like big downsides for an adult as, to not having your child at home or to not um to not like outsourcing the the observation of that development or, or passions or whatever so we're kind of like trying to trying to like navigate that that feels really hard and there's loads of loads of lessons for me to about becoming a better person and parent and partner that's i'm finding that perhaps one of my trickiest jobs at times uh, and then Gabs is on on this awesome journey. She's like started. She started teaching yoga, and that's going better and better. And she's such a she's such a nurturer and a carer that um, she seems to be on this lovely journey towards helping people really grow and have some some real inner strength that she's learned from 
as you know, some like really, really difficult times in her life. So, so that's a really beautiful thing to, to watch that we're, we're trying to create this family culture where we, we're all like supporting each other in our, in our various projects, sometimes quite explicitly. So that's quite fun. I think that's where, that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I, again, I, I feel the word freedom still comes to mind, accountability, autonomy, uh, and, and, and journey. Yeah. Everyone's on, everyone's on this journey. Uh, internally and externally which is lovely yeah i really enjoyed this conversation thank you very much john i think there's there's a lot here for people to learn not only about self-management and and what it means in terms of our freedoms but also about the the taking a leap Mm. uh following a, a a path that is not conventional and what that can create in terms of positive experiences not only for yourself but for your son and for gabs so i think it's it's a going to be a beautiful story for people to hear thanks man thanks for inviting me maybe just a a quick thing to add on that last point you mentioned there about taking the leap uh and it's just that there's there's i think we also need to be wary sometimes of that advice that we should all follow our passions because there's many implications Mm. to following your passions Uh, and sometimes i think it's it's like the worst advice to give someone because actually, you know, for some it's financially difficult. I've not had that problem, but but I certainly can can see that it could be a problem, and it's one that that uh, I've not done enough work on my own money stuff to to have totally overcome yet. So I can see that one. And the, but the other one is actually when you do something really different, you know, you know that you're you know that you're on the right track when people also disagree with you quite a lot. I think um, so that's not what you want to hear you just want you just want cheerleaders um so we've had we've had moments with with alternative or democratic or child-led education whatever you whatever you want to call it where where people like really question it to the point of you know questioning ethics or questioning our our like uh, you know just whether we're like we've gone mad or something um and that's ultimately because you're often triggering someone else's biases and someone else's projections um, so it can be it can be really hard to you know not not being in the status quo has its difficulties. It's it's sometimes easier to just be in the status quo, but but over the long term, it certainly feels like the the path to be taken. And we're, we're it's uh it's like it, it's difficult but exciting. Um and and we're certainly having to learn a lot about ourselves and our own minds as as we go through that process. Um, and you, you and Lawrence and the Happy Startup School have been a big part of that. Well, that's you know, as you know, that's where that's where Gabs and I met, and and I've developed some of my ideas with all of you guys. So I I really appreciate the part you played in that, and the, the community's always always uh, supportive, and that's that's useful when you're when you're feeling like the the mad isolated one sometimes. Well, thank you, thank you very much, John. So if people need to find out more about what you do, uh, this is your your time for shameless promotion. oh yeah great so shameless promotion uh, johnbarnes.me is where you'll find everything that's j-o-n-b-a-r-n-e-s dot me um you can sign up to my newsletter that's throughout the throughout the site that's pretty shamelessly promoted on there um there's a load of talks i've given about different topics surrounding freedom like democracy education technology company stuff or all that's 
all that's there. There's some books on those topics that I've written. Um, and there's a podcast as well that has, has long conversations, sometimes a bit geeky and just going to depth of, of topics where I'm just like shamelessly trying to, um, to learn off often scientists who are smarter than me, basically. Uh, so that's, that's where to go. J O N barnes.me. And I, uh, I'm always up for chats to so send me a, send me a message on there. If you, if you want to talk more. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much again, John. Uh, and looking forward to, to seeing you again here in Brighton. Right. See you soon, mate. Lots of love, Carlos. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you want to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, www.thehappystartupschool.com. You'll find out more about our community, the courses that we offer, and also the conversations and content that we're trying to create to help you get clear about how to build a purposeful business without burning out. So if you're trying to balance the money and the meaning, create the impact and avoiding imposter syndrome, then join us and our group and tribe of like-minded, caring, compassionate and flawed entrepreneurs on this journey trying to work out how to make money, do good and be happy.